Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, and of course I hope that you do, I invite you to turn me to the book of Jude, chapter 1. That'll be a running corny joke for the remainder of our Jude series. If you've opened Jude, you know it's just one chapter. But apparently it's going to take us a while to get through this one chapter of Jude, as we started last week, and in true North Hills form, did not get very far. Um, maybe the first time we've ever gone through half a verse. I'm not sure. We'd have to go back and look in the uh, history books of North Hills, but we definitely didn't make it far. But hopefully we made it very far. Hopefully we, uh, we went through some great truths of God's Word, as last week as we started Jude, and the first half of uh, verse 1 says, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And those uh, few simple words in that half a verse, uh, there's just so much happening there. As we know, as we see who's writing the book, exactly which Jude it is, or so we believe uh, there's five in, the, um, uh, five in the New Testament that we see, and we hold that this is the uh, brother of Jesus and the brother of James, and James who is one of the disciples, and Jude is one of the disciples, who, um, who are um, following the Lord and following the church, or following and leading the church, especially James there, following uh, leading the church in Jerusalem. And so this is Jude, servant of Jesus, and talked about what a servant meant, a slave of Christ. And so so much there. I'm not going to unpack all of that this morning, um, but we're going to pick up where we left off. And so this is part two. Uh, from last week as we're kind of doing this introduction of Jude. We talked last week about the context of the letter. Uh, when it was written, likely when it was written, anywhere from 60 A.D. to 150 A.D., so spin the wheel, but likely uh, we like to land uh, on probably between 60 and 70 uh, A.D. at the latest, 80 A.D., uh, but it was a, a book that was written uh, ultimately by whom? The Holy Spirit, authored by the Holy Spirit, written by Jude uh, for the church today and the church uh, then, uh, ultimately about Christ. And so this is what we see. But this morning, we turn a little more specifically to the who of uh, Jude. Who was it written to, or whom was it written to, if you will? And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the audience. Uh, who was the letter of Jude written to? Who was it addressed to? Now, we know it has an original audience. We kind of got into this a little bit last week as we see that there, uh, although Jude, unlike a lot of New Testament epistles, if you will, fancy word for letters, as most of the books of the New Testament are letters, written to specific congregations for a specific purpose. Now, Jude clearly has a specific purpose, as we'll see as we walk through it, and it clearly has a specific congregation in mind, as he has some very uh, specific language in your will, as we'll see walking through Jude, but that congregation specifically is not mentioned. It's not mentioned to the church of a certain city. And so, uh, but it has a very interesting audience that is shared by most books of the New Testament. And that is found there in the second half of verse 1. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you've done so far in our midst today, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you through song and through prayer, even through our gathering as your people. Thank you, Lord, that we can come back this morning to your word. Uh, 
Thank you, Lord, that we are on no timetable, Father, and help us to walk through Jude at your desired pace. This morning, by your Spirit, would you help us to see and understand the truth, not just of Jude, but the truth of all of Scripture, that we are your called people. And we can only understand this by the illumination and inspiration of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. So, it is important this morning, and even the emphasis of this morning's message, of this one word here in the second half of uh, verse 1, and that is the called. Who is Jude writing to? Yeah, he's writing to a specific congregation that's not mentioned, but ultimately, he tells us right there. Who's he writing to? To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, uh, and love be multiplied to you. Now, if you look there at the, the word, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit as we go, not too in detail, but he's not saying it's to two He's, he's not describing it three different ways. He's not saying to the called and to the beloved and to the kept. He is saying to the called. In the Greek, the word called is actually the very last word in the, the verse. And these other words, beloved and kept, they are describing further called. So who is, it, who is the book of Jude written to? The book of Jude is written to the called. To all of those who are called. Now, you're gonna, if you want to play a game, if you want to start counting how many times I said the word called this morning, it may get up to about 184. Okay, it's going to be a lot. Not just in what I say, but in what in Scripture says. Because we're going to walk through, especially the New Testament, as to what this means to be the called. Who are the called of God? And what does it mean that they are beloved? What does it mean that they are kept for Jesus? And so, I want us to understand this this morning. And this is our aim and our goal. So to those who are called, our understanding of called today, as we'll quote someone in just a moment, is a little bit different than that of the original audience. The original audience, we'll unpack it a little bit. The Hebrew people, they understood what it meant to be called. For them, they didn't need today's message. They knew what it meant to be called. Uh, as the Hebrew people, they knew clearly what it meant to be chosen uh, from, the, from their long, long past. And they even knew specifically what it meant. We're going to walk through this morning to truly be the chosen people of God. And this is a, a theme we're going to see clearly in Scripture this morning. But for us, this word called, what does that mean? Now, some of you are like myself. You are cursed with calls. You have these little things that they sit in our back pocket and you get calls on them, right? Make sure mine's. I had to put it on loud yesterday, make sure that's off, because mine is a, I think sometimes a blessing, but usually it's a curse. It's getting a little better in recent months, but used to, uh, not to belabor this point of phone calls, but if you have an iPhone, a little fact, if you look at your call log, it maxes out at 100 phone calls a day. That's the most it'll keep up with. And so I would usually keep up with the number of calls that I received and sent in a single day by how soon my call log maxed out. So I would do over 100 phone calls a day, and that is tiresome. Now, here's the beauty of where I'm at now in life. I ignore a lot of them, and even to the point the guys who work for me have, have given it a term. It's called being macked. And so if you call me and I send you one of my auto responses, says, sorry, I'm in a meeting. I mean, if you've got that or sorry, I can't talk, you've been macked. It means I'm not going to answer your call, but I'll call you back, hopefully, maybe. 
Um, but all of us are inundated with calls, right? And nowadays, we don't even trust who calls us. Is it a spammer? Is it a scammer? Is it somebody I don't want to talk to? And so we have this ability just not to answer calls. And so when we see this word called, it is not the same in our modern understanding of being called. It's not just this... Uh, uh, this message that you have this choice to receive or not to receive. It is something vastly different. A little more uh, synonymous to those who you may work in a profession that you get called out. Now, I know that you may, you can choose or not to, uh, you can choose not to be called out or not to be called out, right? Two o'clock in the morning, your employer calls you. If you work for a job that they call you, what do you do? You go out, right, if you want to keep your job. And so uh, that's a little bit different. When they call you, you don't have this choice. You are summoned to go. You are called to go. Uh, Thomas Schreiner says it a little better. He says, English readers, when asked to define the word called, might give the definition invited. But this, is, this misunderstands what Jude intends. The term called does not merely mean that God invites believers to be his own. Those whom God calls, those whom God calls are powerfully and inevitably brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. Therefore, the effectual call of God is extended only to some and is always successful so that all of those who are called become believers. And we're not going to get into really the difference between the effectual call and the, um, the, the general call of God. Everyone receives this general call of God. And we see that in Matthew when he says, all are called, but few are chosen. But in the context of this, the call that he's speaking of is the effectual call. Those whom God has called. Those that he has summoned. The Greek word here is kletos, meaning called. And it implies a relationship and a task. So this word called implies a relationship and a task. And I love this. The root word of kletos is kleto, which means summoned. And so this word called here that we're going to see all through the New Testament, not just in Jude, in essence means those who have a relationship with the caller are being called. They're being summoned. And so God, who is the caller, who is summoning his people, who he has a relationship with. And how do we have that relationship? He has established that relationship, as we'll see this morning. So called is to implies this relationship, and that we are being summoned, and we have been summoned, and we have been summoned to the Lord, ultimately through Jesus Christ. Now I'll start this morning with two discoveries that I have made, if you will, two truths that I have been awakened to in the past ten years. Believe it or not, North Hills celebrates 10 years as a church uh, in just under a month and a half. September 11th, 2011, we began this journey. In these past 10 years, uh, studying through God's Word and just reading through God's Word and desiring to know God's Word and to know what God's Word says and not just what I think it says, there's two discoveries, if you will, that are pertinent to this morning, especially when it comes to the subject of the called. 
The first discovery is this, is that Scripture is unquestionably clear that God calls people to be His own. And we're about to hopefully have your Bibles and you have your Bible thumbs ready. We're about to burn through some Scripture in just a moment. Because Scripture is unquestionably clear that God calls people to be His own. This call is not based on our ability or our inclination, but it is based on His own will for His own purposes and remember those words because you're going to see them again in just a moment and so let's take a look at some of these scriptures i didn't even count i mean there are two four six eight ten i think twelve and so we're going to go to each one of these passages we're going to take a long walk through scripture what does the bible say about the kletos what does it say about the called how does how can we properly understand when jude says this letter is to those who were called how can we properly understand that? And I believe this is an order of how the books are laid out. That may help you a little bit. So go back a few books to Romans. To Romans. We're going to start with Romans and end with Romans this morning. In Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. 1 through 7. I'll give you just a second. Romans 1. 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God and power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So to you who have been summoned by God to, be, to, to belong to Jesus, to all of those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints. So we see from the beginning of this rich theological letter that is Romans. It starts with understanding that Paul is both called and that the apostles are called and those he is writing to are called. They are called by God for the glory of Jesus. Go a few chapters over to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Very beautiful passage that we often look to as we understand what it means to be called. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we say this often, maybe one of the most quoted verses here at North Hills, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purposes. Who are what according to his purposes? Who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So we see that those who are called are ultimately glorified. They're ultimately, they, they, they receive glorification. It means they, they end up in heaven for eternity. Those who were called. So how can you be called and not be, if you were to be called and not to be glorified, then Romans 8 would not be true. Keep going over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First nine verses. 
Actually, we're going to read a lot of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 through 9 and then 18 through 30. Romans 1, 1 says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brothers Sothenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his saint, to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. To those who are called, call upon Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. And we're going to look at that as we talk about being kept in a moment guiltless in the day of our lord jesus christ god is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord god is faithful that if he's called you he will keep you and go there to the end of uh, this passage starting in verse 18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Don't you just love that? Paul just slips that in there. Guys, you were dumb, he says. He says, you're not wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you. Thanks for just hitting me in all three areas. I'm not wise. I'm not powerful. And I'm not noble. But, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, for this reason, I love when you see so that in Scripture, means for this purpose. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So as we think about being called, why are we called? What's it based on? Nothing. Nothing of our own doing, but for the glory and the mysterious purposes of God, as we'll continue to see this morning. Now go with me to Galatians. Just a couple of books over 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. This morning, if you can get there quickly, thank your Bible drill teacher when you were a kid. Galatians chapter 1. 
14 through 17. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is giving his resume here. He says, I was a Jew of Jews. I was excelling. I had all the stuff down. He said, if there's anyone who should be called based on his knowledge and ability, it's your boy right here, Paul. But he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, so it wasn't based on what Paul knew, wasn't based on his knowledge, wasn't based on his place in life, it wasn't based on his, his Jewish history and his Jewish lineage. But before I was born, and who, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I met, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so Paul gets a glimpse into his purpose. He said, God has called me. Why has he called me? He's called me to preach to the Gentiles. He's called me to take the gospel. He's called me to resound the, the general call to all who would hear the gospel of Jesus and that those who are called would respond in faith. This is the purpose of Paul's life. Keep on going. First Thessalonians. 2.12. Just one verse this time. 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We exhorted, this again Paul is speaking, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who does what? Who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And to be honest, all these passages I walk through, I, I try calling some of these out. So I go, well, this is something we all know. This is something I can cut. But every one of these has this beautiful truth. And so what is God calling us to? He's calling us to Himself. And here Paul says He's calling us into His kingdom and His glory. For no reason of our own. For no merit of who we are, what we do, or what we bring to this relationship. He is summoning His people. He is calling forth His people. And His people, as it says there in Thessalonians, they walk in a manner, in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Go over to 2 Thessalonians, just one book over. Chapter 2 again. Verse 13 and 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, as we're going to see in just a moment, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel. And there it is right there. This, this general calling, this general revelation is thrown out there. And those who are His respond to it in faith. And so Paul is preaching the gospel to all those who would listen. To this He called you through our gospel so, so, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And I love that point right there because he's saying, 
that truth is found in ultimately God's word. And these, these apostles, they know that as they're writing, they know that God is using them. They have a degree of understanding that God is using them to write to the church, to edify the church, and God would use it as his word. So it says, hey, this is what you listen to. Listen to our letters. Listen to what we write. Listen to, 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 to God being revealed in and through us. We talked about last week, the authority of the apostle, the servant of the Lord. So again, as God is looking at those that he summons, 2 Timothy, just two books over. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8 there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, God, God saved us, and God called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. Is it becoming abundantly, unquestionably clear that God calls us for His purposes? For no worthiness of our own. 1 Peter, a few books over, chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, again, just one verse here. Verse 9. Beautiful passage. One that many are familiar with. Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of, of, of Him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So where does God summon us from? And this is what causes us to look at the Lord and just honestly just break down and worship Him. He's called us from darkness. Ephesians, I didn't take us to Ephesians, right? Don't get me fired up on Ephesians 1 and 2. But what does it say in Ephesians? He's called us not just out of darkness, He's called us out of death. So we were dead men sitting in the darkness doing nothing except decaying. Decaying in death and darkness. And God summoned us. He summoned us from darkness to light. He summoned us from death to life. Because He can. And because He chose to. Because it was His good pleasure. Because it was for His glory and our good. He summoned the called. One book over, 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, one verse, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, 3. How does he do this? His divine power, it says. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power, the divine power of God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So anything that you have that is life, anything that you have that is godly, any aspect of you that is good, anything about you that is righteous, anything that about you is, that is not sinful is granted to you by the power of God. You've done nothing good on your own. As one says, the only thing we've contributed to our salvation is the sin needed to be saved from. 
So his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And one last verse for now. Revelation, the book that we rarely go to, but has so many just beautiful truths in it. These truths of finality. In the end, Revelation chapter 17. Just a verse that should get you fired up. They, and you have to read the rest of the beginning of 17 there, the the beast and the evil one and all those who are associated with uh, Satan there, they will make war on the Lamb. And who is the Lamb? Is Christ. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. That's our summary verse for the book of Revelation, okay? Jesus wins, right? That's it. He will conquer them. Doesn't say he might conquer them. Doesn't say he has a 90% chance. Doesn't say he has a 99% chance. Doesn't say we, the people of God, are rooting for Jesus, for the Lamb to win. It says Jesus. If you believe God's Word, if you believe the authority of Scripture, God's Word says the Lamb will win. So they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him, who are they? They are called and chosen and faithful. So even to the bitter end, who are with the Lamb of God? His chosen and called people. Those who are found faithful. And how are we found faithful? Especially in the midst of the culture and climate of revelation because of Christ. Because of the divine power that he grants us for righteousness. So, and there's more scripture. I just picked about a dozen here that just honestly get me fired up and excited thinking about how we are the called people of God. And so, these two truths that I discovered and have been working through in the past decade, one is this, that scripture is unquestionably clear that God calls people to be his own. If you don't agree with that statement, you don't agree with those dozen passages of Scripture. You can't read those differently. Those are speaking of God calling and people who are His who are called to be His people. They are clecto. They are clectos. They are clectosted. I don't know. <laughs> Made that one up, all right? <laughs> they are summoned forth. God has called them to be His. He has called us, all of those who look to Jesus. And who are those who are His? Are those who look to Him. Those who look in faith and repentance reveal they are God's chosen people. They're called by His grace. And the second truth that I've walked through in these past 10 years, especially with so many others in different contexts, is that the vast majority of our churches choose not to teach and preach this beautiful biblical truth. This is something you just don't hear very often. And that leads to two typical responses that I've encountered. There may be more, but I've encountered different responses to this truth. To this truth that God calls His people. And that first response is this. It's denial. That can't be true because that's, I've never been taught that before. 
And just because you haven't heard it taught doesn't mean it's true. And we have to truly affirm what we know to be true and we say to be true, and that is the Bible, not our experiences, reveals truth. But we live in a culture, right, that our experiences, that our feelings, that maybe even our logic on good days determines truth. But it's not our feelings and our logic and our experience that reveal truth. It is God's Word. This is our sole source of truth in all matters of knowing God. Theology, to study God. You can't study God. You can't know God better by sitting down and thinking on Him. You can't know God better by how do I feel about something. You can't know God better by approaching Him through logic and reason. That's the wisdom that's rejected that we saw in Romans. The only way you can know God better, the only way you can know more of the character of God, the only way you can know more about the condition of the human heart is by reading through and prayerfully reading through and the Holy Spirit bringing understanding to you God's Word. That's it. Not even books, right? Books are great and books point us to to great truths and great pastors point us to great truths. But even those great books... Even if they're 90% right, even if they're 99% right, it's not the source of truth. We're going to look at uh, extra books in the book of Jude. He's going to point to some other books that aren't the Bible. They're good books and they have a good purpose and God's used them in the church and He's used them in church history, but they're not the Word of God. And so we can deny it, but we have to ultimately settle our objections with that truth is revealed in Scripture, not our experiences, not our logic, not our understanding, not our feelings, for sure. And secondly, the other response, the first response is denial, and the second response that I've encountered often is confusion or anger. And I may encounter this one more. For the same reason, it's never been taught. They go through Scripture, they, go, they, they wrestle with this on their own. They don't just believe it because someone says, hey, this is what the truth is. Well, they, they go through Scripture, and they wrestle with this, and they come away. God's Word is clear, but why has no one ever told me this? Why has no one ever taught me this? Why is this the first time that I've seen this, and I'm 34 years old, or I'm 54 years old? Or I'm whatever, I'm 17. Why, why have I never been taught this? I've been in church my entire life, and I've never heard this. And they're met with anger and confusion. Why hasn't it been said before? And the short answer, and this is my opinion, it seems that mainstream evangelistic churches over the past hundred years have shifted from a clarity in doctrine to an emphasis on morality, decisionism, programs, and attendance. And when you shift your focus to that, When you shift your focus to anything other than clearly understanding the Word of God, then you're in a very dangerous place. Regardless of those two responses, whether it's denial or confusion or anger, we have to ultimately respond to God's Word. Not what I say, not what some author says or some other pastor says, or not what anyone else says. What did God's Word say? And it seems to me that Scripture is unquestionably and unequivocally clear that God calls people to be His own. And this is a great truth. It's not just a theological truth to arrive. It's okay, I get it. I affirm that. Now what do I do with it? 
So this is what he says, what Jude says, to those who are called, to these called people of God. This is a truth of the called people. They are two things. They are beloved in God the Father, and they are kept for Jesus Christ. So why does God call us? I can't really answer the question why, but I can answer this, that God calls us because He loves us. He loves His people. He loves us in a way that we cannot even fathom. He's helped us a little bit in John 17. Go with me to John's Gospel, chapter 17. John 17, verse, verses 22 through 26. The high priestly prayer. Such a beautiful passage of Scripture. Recently heard it preached that through the high priestly prayer and the psalm was make good friends. And I think we miss a lot whenever we walk away seeing that. But in John 17, verse, starting in verse 22, we'll just come towards the end of the high priestly prayer. The glory that you have given me. And so this is Jesus, the Son, as He's praying to the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And who's the them? Those are His called people. His people. Why have, why have I given them this glory? That they may be one even as, you, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Wow, right? I mean, just right there. That Christ is praying to the Father and He says that I know that you love them the way that you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So if God loved Christ before the foundation of the world, and if God loves us the way he loves Christ, when did he begin loving his called people before the foundation of the world? O oh, righteous Father, even Though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God loves his people. We are a beloved people. Go with me again to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Skipping out a few verses where we were in verse 38. Romans 8, 38 says this. This is Paul writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's certain of something. I'm sure of something. I know something to be a fact. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. You think he caught that? You think he captured everything that could potentially be against him? He says, we are, you got the verse before that we are conquerors, um, uh, we're more than conquerors who have loved us. And he said, I'm sure of this, that none of this stuff, that nothing, death or life or anything in creation will be able to separate us 
From what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus. God loves us. He loves us like He loved Christ. He loves us in such a way that nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. And honestly, I think people need to hear that. We may affirm that intellectually, we may affirm that theologically, but do we believe that every day? Do we believe that nothing, nothing that is done against us or nothing that is done in us or nothing, nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God? Because we are His called ones. He has summoned us. He has brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, and nothing separates us. Which is very similar to this next word he uses. Not only are we the beloved of God, that he loves us like he loves Christ, and that nothing will separate us from that love, but we are also kept. Wow. He says, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Kept. What does kept mean? Go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Two verses, verse 27 and 28. John 10, 27 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, that verse right there, we could just sit on for all morning. That, we, that those who are His know Him and He knows them. And you go to John 6 and see this further illustrated. In verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so if Jesus is not just some weak Savior who is just trying to woo us into salvation, if He is the Son of God, if He is God Himself, if He has been since the, before the foundations of the world, if He is a mighty King and a conqueror, if He is the Lion of Judah, and if He says that no one will snatch them out of my hand, if He says they will never perish, what does that mean? It means we will never perish. It means that no one can take away from us what is God's. He called us. He summoned us. Because He loves us and He promises to keep us. And so we see in John 10 that we are secure from the world. That if you are in Christ, nothing will ever change that. Go just a couple chapters in reverse there. John chapter 6, 35-40. We see that not only does God secure us from the world, but we are secure in God Himself. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And it just affirms all that we've seen. This morning, that those who are called, those who are summoned, will come to Jesus. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will keep him. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, 
but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last days we saw in Revelation. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And there is a hint of that beautiful tension that we see. That yes, God calls his people, he summons his people. But all of those who look to the Lord will be saved. Because it is God who awakens in them the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't just save us and God doesn't just love us, but God keeps us and we are kept and we are secured in Christ. Now let's wrap up this introduction of Jude. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is not the, this is not the same language as most greetings in the New Testament letters. Jude says it a little bit differently. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And what we're going to see there is that Jude knew that the church needed something a little bit different. He knew they were struggling, as we're going to see in the weeks and months ahead. Their, their struggle was a little different. So they needed mercy, and they needed peace, and they needed to be reminded of the love that God had for them. And I think even in this, this greeting, even in this introduction here, as they read these words, as they heard them proclaimed, as they were reminded that they were vessels of mercy, that God had poured out His mercy on them. Go with me to Romans chapter 9. And then we'll wrap this up. In Romans chapter 9. How are we on time? Romans chapter 9 pulls everything together that we've talked about in the past however many minutes. It pulls together the, the called of God. It pulls together that we are beloved. It pulls together that we are kept. It pulls together God does everything. And if this is a, a theological truth that you are struggling with, whether you're here this morning in person, whether you're online this morning, as I've said many times, don't take my word for it. Go to God's word. And when you understand these truths, when you understand that the, the call to those that God summons himself, when you understand that God loves us in the way that he loves Christ, when you understand that he keeps us, and that all this is for His glory and not just for our good, it helps us to read Romans 9 a little bit differently. Let's just kind of fly through it. Can we do that real quick? Can we just fly through Romans 9? Good, I'm glad you agree. But Romans 9 says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the worship of the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And just a brief commentary on that. 
is that the original audience of Jude, as I said earlier, they understood what it meant to be the chosen people of God. They understood what it meant to be cut out and carved out as a specific people to receive God's specific promises and grace. And Paul's saying here, this should be yours, Israelites in the flesh. But in verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted at offspring because this is what the promise said. About this time next year I'll return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved. And Esau I hate it. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wants wherever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills and then there's this response paul's kind of right in the third person there you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will but who are you O man to answer back to god but what is molded say to the molder why have you made me like this has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other vessel for dishonorable use in verse 22 and 23 What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order that, and there's that word again, so that for this purpose, to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. And so there is this rich truth. And I want us to see this morning because we're reminded of this in Jude. That Jude is written. The Bible itself is written to those who are God's people. And God's people are those who are called. And God's called people are beloved in Christ. And God's called people are kept in Christ. And God's called people are blessed in Christ and are vessels of mercy and are recipients of peace and are recipients of His love. And they will be multiplied to us over and over and over in Christ. As one pastor says, Jude prays that mercy, peace, and love will be multiplied because in the abundance of these qualities was needed at a stressful time in the church's life. And we'll see in the weeks and months ahead what that means. Let's pray. Heavenly, gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to turn to your word. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to a passage that we don't often look to and to a truth that we don't often look to, but Lord encourages us in such a mighty way. 
not to look inward at ourselves and what made us special, but to look outward towards you and what you have done and how you have loved us and all that you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, I pray if there is a single person here, if there is anyone listening to this, and they have never responded in faith to you, Lord, that they would call out on the name of Jesus and be saved. But for the many of us, Lord, who do know you, and we have been summoned by you, that we would be ever so mindful this morning, in this moment, as we sing, as we give, as we go from this place, that we are a called people who are called by your name. So have your ways. We finish our worship service this morning. In Christ's name, amen.